Greetings from the Bluegrass State. That's Kentucky, if y'all didn't know. We want to tell you about the hottest new podcast on the block, Coffee and Cases. If you fancy yourself an at-home detective. If you find yourself yelling at the TV during that new true crime documentary. Then you, my friend, are a certified sleuth hound. Just like us. On Coffee and Cases podcast, you'll hear about the missing, the murdered, and the unsolved. But the cases you've rarely, if ever, heard about. All from the perspective of two teacher friends, rule followers, and self-proclaimed scaredy cats. Join me, Allison. And me, Maggie. Each week, as we take on cases that are often overlooked, but are screaming for justice. Finally, a true crime podcast where you don't have to monitor the foul language. Coffee and Cases is a true crime guilty pleasure that you don't actually have to feel guilty about. Check out Coffee and Cases every Thursday for a new episode on your favorite podcasting app. This podcast discusses cases in which a crime may have occurred. It's important to advise that all parties mentioned or generally referred to in this podcast are presumed innocent until proven guilty by law. Opinions expressed on this podcast don't necessarily reflect those of the podcast host, Murderish, or Cloud 10 Media. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please stop here and listen to previous episodes in order so you get the full scope of this wild scam story. In previous episodes of Dirty Money Moves, we unfolded the story of Mary Carol McDonnell, a self-proclaimed heiress who got her hands on millions of dollars by lying and scheming. We dove into Mary Carol's childhood, her professional career in the TV business, some of her shady associates, and how she managed to get her hands on close to $50 million through elaborate scams, and then disappear. In this episode of Dirty Money Moves, you're going to hear from Kevin Barry, who formerly worked for Bellum Entertainment. Kevin, who's currently a writer and producer in Los Angeles, worked at Bellum Entertainment from 2015 to 2017. He created multiple TV series for the company during his time there, including a show called Deep Undercover. Like many former Bellum workers, Kevin began to notice red flags at the company, and then he witnessed the house of cards fall. Kevin provided great insight on what it was like to work for a TV production company that was being operated by Mary Carol McDonald, who constantly lied, failed to pay workers, and ultimately, caused the demise of Bellum Entertainment. During this episode, you'll hear how Mary Carol made Kevin's skin crawl, as well as details of a very cringeworthy moment that happened when Kevin first met Mary Carol's husband. After the interview with Kevin, stick around for an update on where we're at with the Mary Carol McDonald case and what comes next regarding the story and the podcast. Now, without further delay, Please enjoy my conversation with Kevin Barry as he takes us back inside of Bellum Entertainment. I'm Kevin Barry, and I'm a uh, working writer producer in Los Angeles, a member of the Directors Guild of America. I've uh, written and produced about 150 documentaries and worked on about 
50 different series, Amy Biography and Little People, Big World. So many. I do lots of true crime and lots of paranormal. And uh, at Bellum Entertainment, I created two series for them. Uh, Deep Undercover, a 52-episode series that's now on Netflix or was on Netflix. And then the Mysteries of the Unexplained, a 26-episode paranormal series for the British Sky Network. So speaking of Bellum, how long did you work for them and when did you start and end your career uh, there? I started at Bellum in the summer of 2015. I wrote Mary Carol McDonald's nephew, Peter McDonald, who was the vice president, you know, by his, by his uh, lineage and heritage. Mm-hmm. So he was named the vice He's president. He's related. He's right. related. Yeah. He, he, likes to, he likes to not acknowledge that fact and even lies about that fact, but he's related. And therein it is the uh, important connection in this story that I'm going to share. Sure. Um, so I wrote him and he invited me in and uh, asked me to help create a crime series. And that became Deep Undercover, which became a 52-episode series that first aired on the Escape Crime Network and then later aired on Netflix. Okay, and so you were aware of Bellum, having worked in entertainment yourself and other capacities. So what did you know about Bellum up to them? Did it seem like a legitimate company that... I kind of knew that that they were a real low-end clip shows. That's kind of their thing. International clip shows where they, they sell them for a song or they're, they're aired in America on barter basis, but they make their money overseas in international, multiple international markets. I think that's where they really make their money. And when and, you say clip show, I'm sorry, um, does that mean they use just like static images a lot rather than a lot of acting and, and talking heads in their shows? Or um, A lot of archival it? repurposing footage from other series or from news organizations, a lot of Bellum's thing was clip shows. Uh, Not exclusively, but that is a lot of what they did. And that is somewhat of a red flag creatively and even compensation-wise for someone like me. Mm -hmm. So I kind of knew somewhat that I was, you know, entering the valley of of evil. but, and you say, you know, red flags in, in what way are, and also are you kind of describing Bellum as maybe not the Nordstrom or the Saks Fifth Avenue of TV production companies? Is that kind of, I'm using an analogy, but are they kind of like on the lower end Yes, um, low as end, far as right? quality and things like that? It, it's not Mark Burnett Productions that did Survivor. I and I knew that going in. It's very, very low end. Companies like Bellum, when international markets is their main place where they make money, that is somewhat of a red flag of it's a very low end sweatshop, very low pay. There's no infrastructure to support. A producer will be doing everything. Mm. So I kind of knew that going in. That's interesting. Um, And did you, were you actually on Bellum's payroll or were you a 1099 contractor? I was a 1099 contractor and it became very apparent to me that that's how they pay everyone. And that was a, there were many red flags as I went through my two years at Bellum. I worked there for about 24 months, which, which was pretty long time compared to a lot of people that worked at Bellum. I'm, I was one of the oldest, you know, longest employed people. So yes, 1099. And that I made quite significant mental note of that, that, okay, they're not going to bring you aboard 
even though you're creating shows for them and you're going to be the showrunner and you're being paid on a 1099, that that speaks volumes. Okay. So that was another, a bit of a red flag. Now, were there instances where you did not get paid or get paid on time uh, for your work? And if so, did you ever get repaid? Well, as Deep Undercover, which I basically created for them, for the Escape Network, it was a true crime series, 52 episodes. As that started moving forward, very quickly, vendors were complaining they weren't being paid. And that included cops. Deep Undercover, we interviewed undercover cops, FBI, ATF, DEA. Um, and they immediately were, were telling Joe Pistone, who was the figurehead, the visual figurehead of the Deep Undercover series, he's, he's the real Donnie Brasco, well-known name in law enforcement. They started telling Joe Pistone, hey, I still haven't been paid. And it had been, been months that they had not been paid. And we're not talking a ton of money. They weren't paid that much money to be interviewed for Deep Undercover. And my camera people would tell me I still haven't been paid. And some of my employees were told you're not getting a check today. If you're asking, did that ever happen to me? Never. Because they needed me to keep the train going. I, I, was, I never was not paid. Uh, were there sometimes insufficient funds in the account? Yes, that happened numerous times, but I'd go to the bank the next day and the money would be there. I would go to Karen Garber or Mary Carol McDonald and the money would be moved into the account and I could cash my check. That happened many times. But was I ever not paid? Never happened to me because I was showrunner and I was, I had a team that I was leading. So it never happened to me. My gotcha. team it happened to all the time. Okay. And, and that makes sense. And obviously another red flag. I mean, if your check is bouncing, even if you have to have the inconvenience of going the next day, I mean, your check should just be good when they give it to you. So yes. Uh, um, I would go to the, uh, the the teller and she'd say, there's no funds to cover this. So I, I never really had, you know, a real bounce check, but the funds weren't there. It's the same thing. Sure. Um, but, but some of my employees had bounce checks and, or were just told you're not getting paid today. Some of my producers, associate producers, uh, editors, they just were told you're not being paid this week. We'll get you next week. And some, sometimes it went on two and three weeks where they weren't paid. Wow. And what was the environment like there? So if you could kind of walk me through, what were your initial thoughts about the company as well as Mary Carol McDonald when you first started and how those thoughts may have changed? Well, it's somewhat of the emperor's new clothes where I could tell Mary Carol from the get-go, she made my skin crawl. She was very um, Hollywood, not in a positive way, very uh, old school, over the top. Um, bragging about herself, Hollywood, like embarrassing, like, and you, you wonder, well, Kevin, why would you be embarrassed? You weren't saying these things. It's just something in my personality. When someone is desperate for praise or desperate for attention, I feel this bizarre phenomena of embarrassment. And when I was around her, I was embarrassed a lot. Or her nephew, Peter McDonald, made me feel embarrassed for them because they were so pathetic to be working in Hollywood. And I've worked at some high-end production companies. Um, and to be around them, it was, it was like sad and pathetic. It's like that secondhand embarrassment, you know, uh, do you remember any specific conversations or instances when, you know, you were, you had that secondhand embarrassment? What did Mary Carol say or do or brag about? She she was bragging to me about, about being, uh, raised, you know, in a wealthy family, 
with affluence all around her and and uh, we knew important people and i was cringing as i'm sitting there listening to this i'm thinking what does that have to do with the show that's about to be going into production for this latest episode what does that have to do with anything so there were multiple instances of that and so that leads me into another one of my questions. I think you are probably well aware that there was a, a significant lie or lies that Mary Carroll told many people for many, many years, decades, I'm talking, and people who were very close to her. Uh, for example, she had told many people uh, that she was the heiress to the um, McDonnell Douglas fortune, which we know now is not true. And she's not even related to the McDonald uh, family, you know, the aerospace family. She yep. also had mentioned, uh, not mentioned, but lied numerous times about um, her little sister being kidnapped, held for ransom and murdered, which would sort of elude. It would make people think, oh, her family must be from a lot of wealth, which was not true. I think her family did well, but I don't think they were so wealthy that somebody would kidnap and hold for ransom her little sister. And we found out later, obviously, her little sister tragically was was murdered, uh, killed by a neighborhood boy, but had you heard those two rumors? And if so, how did you hear about them? Near the end of my tenure at Bellum, before the whole house of cards collapsed, I began hearing some of those kind of stories. And back then, even it made me feel like it made me cringe. It was as, as if it was, if it was a parents or a father who was pimping out his daughter. It was as if those stories were being planted for sympathy or to manipulate us, the employees, in some way. So I felt she was like pimping out her family or her children. That's how I felt. It's interesting that you say that. So I'm, I'm getting a visual. I'm kind of now understanding a bit, you know, having talk, spoken with you and other people who knew Mary Carroll and worked with her, that I'm trying to understand why she told these lies. And maybe it was just simply a need for grandiosity. She loved that feeling. And it's like she took certain stories. Yes, her last name was McDonald, but she had no relation to the McDonald family. Yes, her sister died tragically. And I'm sure that it affected her life in a very major way because our research tells us that she and her little sister were best friends. Um, but it is sort of sickening to think that she would take that tragedy and spin it and make it more grandiose, a kidnapping held for ransom. So you, do you believe that just Mary Carroll had a need to feel important? What do you think was her motive for telling such crazy lies about herself and bragging so much? This is a town that's built on illusion. It's all an illusion. And people at the top, it's never enough. As rich as they are, it's never enough. They want more. And it's very exploitive. The, the whole industry, the whole entertainment industry is exploitive to make people at the top more money and more wealth. And uh, I think she aspired to that, that power where I can be at the top and I can be exploiting people. I think that was her goal to, ex to exploit as many people as possible. And, yeah. and that was transparent. I saw some of that in the way she talked to me and the way she talked to other people, that desire to be at the top so she can exploit and dominate and, uh, be above everyone else. You hit the nail right on the head. I have heard from other people that I've heard the word snob thrown around that she 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 acted above other people. You know, she sort of projected herself as I'm up here. I'm from this wealthy, prominent family. I'm got a Porsche. I've got a big boat. I'm this. I'm that, you know, and um, 
So that really makes sense, uh, what you're saying about her based on your experience. But it, but it was pathetic. She would try and, uh, she was not a woman of the world, and nor was her nephew, Peter McDonald. It was very sad and transparent that they were in over their heads. I noticed that early on. And I felt it was a house of cards really early on that it was going to collapse. And I saved my money like I've never saved my money in my entire life because I was making pretty decent money as showrunner um, of Deep Undercover. And something in me said, save your money. And I saved so much of my paycheck every week because I, I even said to some of my associates, some select few, I said, this is a house of cards that's going to collapse. The wheels are going to come off this train. And it's as if I knew. And that's why I was saving so much of my paycheck for those two years. It's interesting you say that because Brian Testa used similar words. I think he actually did say house of cards and he indicated that he kind of saw through her BS too and, and thought that she was kind of a phony. Now, how do you think other, because obviously she's been able to manipulate and take money from highly intelligent people and institutions, businesses, banks, financial institutions. Do you think that other people, do you know if other people were sort of enamored with her and truly bought into her grandiose story about herself and her life and who she was? Well, judging by the, the amount of vendors that, that are owed money when, she, when the company collapsed and she vanished, I think they were caught up in this uh, ridiculous illusion of Bellum Entertainment. And they had all these shows. They had multiple shows, these, cl- these low-end clip shows that air in international markets. Um, they just were caught up in this. Whereas if they somehow could have talked to people like me or Brian Tester or some other employees, we'd have, to- we'd have told them, we'd have said, you better be careful because th- that's all a facade. And this is going to collapse. That They don't know how to run a television production company. And we're running, we're, we're doing it all. They don't have a clue what they're doing. But of course, those vendors uh, who, are, who were owed a lot of money when Mary Carroll folded the company, and I think it was all planned to, to collapse the company. I think it was, there was a target date and, uh, and she was fleecing the company assets as much as possible. She planned this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow these people were caught up in this and, and lulled into some kind of um, security that they could trust her, apparently. It's summertime, and now more than ever, I want my skin to glow because I see a lot more people around this time of year. In order to get that dewy summertime glow, I've been washing my face twice a day with Osea's Ocean Cleanser, and I love the gentle pore-minimizing exfoliation it provides. Speaking of exfoliation, Osea's Salts of the Earth Body Scrub leaves my skin feeling so soft because it buffs away roughness with skin-loving ingredients like mineral-rich salts and shea butter. After I use Osea's Body Scrub, my skin already feels like it's been moisturized before I've applied lotion. I just got back from a camping trip and my skin always suffers afterward. When I got home, the first thing I did was exfoliate with Osea's body scrub and then applied their body oil to lock in moisture. I can see why Osea's body oil is a favorite among celebrities who use it as part of their daily routines 
for healthy, nourished, and glowing skin. And you don't need to worry about questionable ingredients because all of Osea's products are clean, safe, vegan, and cruelty-free. Find your new skincare and body care favorites at oseamalibu.com and get a special discount just for Dirty Money Moves listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with promo code DIRTYMONEY. You'll get free samples with every order and orders over $50 get free shipping. You're going to want it all. Go to oseamalibu.com promo code DIRTYMONEY. As far as the heads of the company, like true decision makers, was it Mary Carol McDonald, Peter and Karen Garber for the most part? That's all it was. Um, gotcha. Peter McDonald, her nephew, was the Judas goat. He was a young guy, good looking guy, reasonably articulate. And he tried to be everybody's friend. I could tell that he didn't have a friggin' clue about how to do a, tell a television story and do a television show. I did all of Deep Undercover. I did everything. He had nothing to do with it. That was my show. Um, he was the Judas goat who led the flock. Everything's fine. Uh, she's getting a loan next month, and everyone's going to be paid not to worry. And there was a satellite office in New Orleans, and he flew there a couple of times to, to calm a, an uprising. There was a coup going to take place where people were going to walk out. And he flew there to try and calm the masses. And succeeded. Twice he did that. And um, so he led the company. Karen Garber was the nasty CFO and treated everyone like dirt and was very contemptuous and condescending, beyond condescending, contemptuous of all the employees. Um, she didn't really do that to me for some reason, because I'm about her age. Maybe, mm -hmm. I think that has something to do with it. She didn't do that to me, but very, very condescending. Let them eat cake, and uh, you're lucky to even be here. And she knew nothing about producing television. She was Mary Carol McDonald's nanny, helped raise the two kids, the twins. Okay, so you just hit on something. I, I did find in our research, uh, another source had told me that uh, the twin boys, Mary Carol McDonald's boys, may have largely been raised by a particular nanny and, and they were very close to that nanny. Be, uh, now, would that have been Karen Garber or do you think she had another nanny that raised them when they were young? I don't know, but I know Karen Garber was a nanny and the fact that she'd be brought into Bellum as the CFO leads me to believe it was her. Because um, maybe she knew a lot and the closer you keep the people who know your secrets, maybe the better. Do you think that's. They had a strange relationship. A lot of us couldn't understand what she was doing there because um, there was nothing uh, highbrow about Karen Garber. So she, she was a strange bedfellow, bedfellow to be the CFO at Bellum Entertainment, where Mary Carroll continually perpetuated this facade of, I'm one of the beautiful chosen few. Okay, that, that's very interesting that you say that. That kind of connected uh, a puzzle piece for me. As far as uh, Bellum Entertainment, so obviously, I think you and I, in our previous conversation, you think that maybe more than Mary Carroll has benefited from her potential scams. Do you think who do you think that other people were in on it? And who do you think that may have been? Um, other people were in on it. Peter McDonald was in on it. 
and Karen was in on it, Karen Garber. This all happened before Bellum collapsed in, in June of 2017. Bellum Entertainment did a uh, syndicated, two syndicated series called Unsealed the UFO Files and Unsealed the Conspiracy Files that were distributed by Tribune Entertainment, a huge distribution arm of, of entertainment television. And that, that series, when it ended, collapsed, and the production con- company was stiffed, all the vendors were stiffed, all the editors were stiffed. This happened before, and Peter and Karen were part of that. So they, they knew this was going to happen again. They knew the MO of how, how Mary Carol McDonald operates mm-hmm. and how to avoid, how to manipulate the bankruptcy system, how, how Hollywood just, just folds a name and just creates a new television moniker, just a new name. Uh, it was their original name was Long Needle Entertainment, and they just collapsed that, and then they changed the name of the company. She did that many times. Another create, red flag. They create shell companies just to hide, and and it, Hollywood is built upon that. Meaning, so you did the, so you think that it's somewhat commonplace for other entertainment businesses to create all these LLCs, just LLC after LLC. Um, for the purpose of what? Avoiding payment uh, to vendors. And that can include employees. Uh, So many employees nowadays are independent contractors. So in effect, they're vendors. They're not really employees. Avoiding payment of editors and television producers who who have sometimes their own production company or people that supply edit systems and and equipment and. all the materials involved in producing television, graphics artists, all these people were stiffed by Bellum under Long Needle Entertainment and again under Bellum Entertainment. So get rid of the LLC, fold it, therefore you are, don't have to pay people anymore. You've moved on, now you've got a new name, a new set of vendors. Yes, and, okay. Mary, and Peter McDonald, her nephew, who was the Judas goat of Bellum, he was aware of all this and he was involved in all of this up to his eyeballs. And so, so was Karen Garber. Peter McDonald was the figurehead to all the employees to keep the train moving forward. And Karen was the money person. And those three, my office was right next to Mary Carol McDonald's office. And I heard many conversations between these three about how to avoid payment to people. And I, I need to tell you another story. As Deep Undercover was nearing the end, uh, Peter McDonald called me in his office and a- asked me about creating another show. And I said, well, I want to create a show, uh, a paranormal show. And so he said, do it. And I was paid a development fee, just like I was for Deep Undercover, where I developed Deep Undercover and did a sizzle, sizzle reel and then did a pilot episode for Mysteries of the Unexplained, the paranormal series. I did a sizzle reel along with Brian Testa. Um, who was the producer of it, and then did a, uh, a um, pilot episode. I was to be showrunner, co-executive producer of Mysteries of the Unexplained. And I was such a thorn in their side to pay people, to pay vendors, to pay my employees, to pay camera people, to pay the, the police undercover agents who agreed to be interviewed for the series. They demoted me and removed me from the showrunner position for the paranormal series after I created the series. And they brought someone else in just to, to shut you up. 
to neutralize me, to um, castrate me from having any teeth to hold them accountable. They didn't fire me. If, if I was a bad employee, they would have just got rid of me. They made me second in command. And of course, I was furious about this um, and tried to warn this new showrunner what was up and how they operated and what, what was going down with me. And he just was angry at me for daring to question why he was brought in. So uh, they got what they wanted out of you. Then they demoted you so that yes. you wouldn't be able to demand payment for all these people. And like you said, be a thorn in their side yes. because they had no intentions maybe of, of paying these people like they'd done in the past. They sure didn't. And it seems like with Peter McDonald and Karen Garber, it was like the good cop, bad cop. Am I correct in saying it kind of like Peter was like, hey, everything's flowery. It's, it's rainbows and kittens and everything's going to be fine. We're going to get this loan. And Karen's like, let them eat cake, whatever. They're not getting yes. paid. Just very she harsh. was the bad cop. Okay. She, she was, you're lucky to have a job. And I literally heard her say that to people. You're lucky to have a job. Um, he, he was, you're doing great work. And isn't it great to work in, in Hollywood, making real television and telling real stories? And this is a guy that couldn't write his way out of a paper bag, C- couldn't write an invitation to, a, to his own birthday party. And he's acting like he's a big writer, producer of television. It's, a, it's such a joke. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so I know that at some point, uh, Mary Carol, her third marriage was to a man named Jeff, Jeff Nillis. Now, did you do you know anything about the the around the time that they got married? Did you meet Jeff Nillis? Did he I have involvement Jeff. in the company? What were your impressions? All that? Uh, I met Jeff. He was a dentist, I believe. And his son, J- James Nillis, worked for the company also. So he worked at the company and the two twins. Mary Carroll's two sons, they worked for the company. And Karen Garber's son was an, was an, uh, an accountant under Karen. So it was very um, incestuous. Incestual. Yeah. Or incestuous, and that was a yes. red flag. That's always a red flag to me when that is going on. Um, and no one even tries to hide it. So, yes, I met James Nellis at a, at a little party one time. And I. Jeff Nellis, I'm sorry, but or James yeah. was the son. Jeff was the father. Okay. I, I worked closely with James. But gotcha. uh, I met Jeff Nellis, Mary Carroll's friend, and he was at a, a little re- party at a restaurant that they had. I think it was a little Easter get together, I seem to recall, on Good Friday or something like that. And I was chatting with him and I said, uh, so what's your, what's your connection to Mary Carroll? I was just curious, just being sociable. And he says, I'm her lover. And <laughs> I mean, I wanted to like run away. <laughs> oh. I wanted to say, bro, that's not what I was asking you. <laughs> Talk about cringe. I, I cringed. Oh, so he said, I'm her lover. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's so interesting. I mean, that's now, something you'd see in a, in a movie, in a made-for-TV movie, right? It is. I was right there. He said that to me, and uh, it made me cringe. What was your impression of him? I believe he was like an orthopedic surgeon or something. Like you said, some medical, I'll have to go back to my research. I'm interrupting here to mention that Dr. Nillis is actually an ophthalmologist, not an orthopedic surgeon. This interview was conducted very early on in our research, and we hadn't quite gotten to know Dr. Nillis at this point, so Kevin and I couldn't remember what kind of doctor he was. Okay, back to the interview. But um, what was your impression of him? He saw a, good, a financial good thing, and he was going to ride it for everything it's worth. Okay, so he, he and, and, and of course, it wasn't a financial good thing. If you really look at it, it was really a house of cards, like you said. But from the outside looking in, 
he maybe bought into. Uh, she's this wealthy heiress, maybe. She's this successful CEO, a lot of money. Let's do this. But in reality, things fell apart at some point. Um, I, I sensed he kind of was the paid boyfriend. That was the vibe I got. Although he had his own money, but I sensed she wanted a boyfriend that she could say he's an orthopedic surgeon. He had the right social tattoos to, to be able to, for her to, to manipulate. So I, I got the feeling he was, the pay, he was the, on the payroll as the pay, paid boyfriend. I see. And was he involved at all in Bellum's operations? And do you think they're still together now? Um, as far as I know, he was not. And I don't know if they're still together, but James Nillis, the son, was uh, studying law. And I know for a fact he was very involved in some of the behind the scenes financial contracts and, and manipulating things behind the scenes. So I think, I think he was there for a reason. Okay. And it, it just, it really was a family affair. And, and, I, and I have come to believe, I think Mary Carroll purposely you know, built her company and hired people who, who she knew just to sort of keep her lies and scams close to the vest. These people would also have her back and sort of aid in her efforts. I mean, that's what it really seems like because everybody I speak with says the same thing. I mean, it was just like this person had a sister or brother who was hired. This was her nanny. This is her lover's son. This is, these are her two sons. This is her nephew. I mean, just, it just goes on and on. And it seems like that was built that way for, for a reason. When Bellum collapsed in June of 2017, just completely imploded, I had conversations with some of my associates of what was going on because the two sons attempted, I don't know if it was, a, if it was an act, but they seemed to be attempting to try and keep the, fam, the, the business afloat. I don't know if they were being manipulated to do that or what, I do not know. But I had conversations with some of my associates that one of those two sons is going to commit suicide. People were, I know that's horrific to say, but it was that bad. There were so many, there were hundreds upon hundreds of angry vendors and employees who were being stiffed by this. And people were taking bets on which son was going to commit suicide. Wow. It's awful to hear. And that has been one of my questions, even with regard to Mary Carroll. I don't know what is, what, what is inside of her brain and, and what her psyche is. I, I don't know any, any of that. But I, I, I imagine this complex, you know, web she wove over the decades, you know, taking money from people and, and always committing a scam after scam after scam, borrowing from Peter to pay Paul and all these things had to be exhausting, had to be stressful, had to be hard to keep up with all the lies and the scams. But but. I would imagine it wouldn't be common. Let's say that Mary Carroll has some sort of um, sociopathy. I, I really don't know because that's not my area of expertise. But it, I would imagine that it's not common for also her sons to also be that way. You got to imagine that, the, you know, some people actually were decent people and got caught up in her lies and scams. And it really pained them at night when they went to sleep. You know, and maybe that's what the sons were going through. Maybe it was really hard. They were trying to be loyal to their mother and, and, and maybe believe that she was running a legitimate company. But at some point, it became very hard and stressful on them. Yes, they seemed to have the weight of the world on them. Uh, I did notice that as they were there in the final days. And in the final days, I'm thinking like the last month or two, 
I can't imagine anyone who didn't know what was about to take place. I sure knew. I knew it was going to collapse. It's interesting that you say June of 2017 is when the the business really folded because she didn't get that money from Bank of California, the $15 million until March-ish of 2018. So she secured a loan from a very sophisticated bank. I mean, I worked there um, at a time when it was sounds like absolute chaos was going on and she was about to lose her company or already had it, it by mid 2017 there were hundreds of people and dozens of lawsuits that were being filed I, and the labor board was already investigating people had contacted the california labor board about not being paid and checks bouncing i can't imagine how she could have gotten a loan i, I that's just unbelievable to me it is it, it, the bank was aware of the lawsuits, because that all comes up in their due diligence before they ever approve a loan. But I but it, she did tell, I think, some lies and said, well, I know that, you know, at some point she told the bank, oh, yes, I've got some labor board issues. Now, that was just we were the victims of bank fraud. All the employees are being paid. Everything's being worked out. So she had answers for the bank, but it still is jaw dropping to know that her company had imploded, all but imploded, I guess. And she still was able to secure that loan. And of course, right after she got that money for about $14.2 million, she was gone. You know, and and we think that she fled to Dubai. Uh, I've seen court papers where it's been mentioned that she was in Dubai on business, in quotes. Um, do you know anything about that? Have you heard people talking about where she might have gone to or where she is now? There was a Facebook page something like friends of bellum and it was it was mostly disgruntled employees that's really what it was disgruntled employees let's hold this woman accountable and that facebook page was definitely sympathetic to mary carroll and peter mcdonald and so some of the things that were being floated including you know she's gone to dubai and uh, other ridiculous nonsense i believe was being fed to the facebook page just to, to poison and confuse and and distract, watch the right hand so you don't see what the left hand is doing. Uh, a lot of that stuff was being perpetuated through the Facebook page. Okay. And you, you cut off a little bit earlier, but am I correct in saying that some disgruntled or so-called disgruntled former Bellum employees created a Facebook page and went in there and complained about, you know, not being paid and all kinds of things. And uh, they were not sympathetic to Mary Carol or Peter, or probably not Karen either. They were not. They were were angry. There was a rage. Gotcha. And let's hold this woman accountable. Let's go after her. Let's contact Escape Television. And then later, let's contact Netflix. And that was done. And and Escape Television and Netflix did nothing. Many people wrote to to tell them, hey, you're airing a, a show. You're airing multiple shows, not one show. It was multiple shows from Bellum Entertainment. And she hasn't paid employees in months. She's stiffed hundreds of employees and a hundred vendors and you're sending her checks for for these shows that are being aired and escape television did nothing and Netflix did nothing. So she had a lot of help in, in her thievery and her, uh, her dishonesty, a lot of help along the way. 
It seems like it. And, and just going back to something you said earlier, so I understand, do you believe she fled to Dubai or do you think that people may, who may have been on Mary's side infiltrated the Facebook group and fed that information to sort of distract from what was really going on? I believe it was fed. It was all manipulated. It was part of a plan. And I removed myself from the Facebook page because I could see what was going on. And I knew that people that were sympathetic to Peter McDonald, who I believe was still working with Mary Carol McDonald. I believe this. People were, were feeding information, planning it in, on the Facebook page and taking information and telling Mary Carol and Peter about what people were going to do and what they were saying. So I don't believe she ever left the country at all. No. Wow. It's, it's interesting because that is the biggest um, question mark in this story is where did she go after she took the money from the bank? Because, the, you know, I don't know where she is today. I have seen the country of Dubai listed on court documents where somebody was trying to serve Mary Carroll, uh, but they were finding it difficult because she was out of the country. But, but I can't say today that I've been able to prove that she ever went to Dubai if she's still there, if she was ever there, where she, and, and I don't know where she is right now. I've heard different theories and certainly people are still, she still has people in her life. There are people, or at least one person who knows where she is, right? But, but they're not saying anything. So she still probably has help to this day, which is why nobody that I've spoken with, including my, and I don't know where she is today. And that's the big question mark. It's like, she got away with almost $15 million from a sophisticated bank. That's an FBI case. Um, But to my knowledge, she has not been apprehended. Now, I do believe the FBI knows exactly where she is. If this is an open case with the FBI, and I believe that it is, because Bank of California is a federally regulated bank, um, they're smart, and that's what they do. I'm sure that they know exactly where she is, but there's probably a reason uh, strategically that they haven't gone and gotten her and taken her into custody. Well, I know some employees from Bellum Entertainment, including Lee Frank. He contacted the FBI and could not get anyone to listen to him. Very frustrating. Yeah, people have contacted the FBI and the labor board, and it's pretty pathetic, the response. Uh, You know, don't call us, we'll call you. We've got a lot of that. Yeah, and I just, um, and I don't know if this is just not a big enough white collar crime for them to pay the attention to, but it's like it's somehow some way she's got to pay for this. I mean, I can't imagine she's been indicted on numerous charges relating to the money that she took from bank of California. Has so she? yes, she's been indicted, but she has not been brought. She's been a no show for court hearings. Um, I believe don't quote me on this. I'd have to go look at my research, but I believe there is court documentation where Mary Carroll made a statement saying, I'm out of the country on business, but as soon as I return, I will present myself and deal with this or whatever. I, I'm paraphrasing, but um, very interesting that she has not been apprehended and she's been a no-show for court, you know, court hearings. And she's been indicted on several serious charges relating to the 14 plus million dollars she got her hands on and never paid back. Yes, and I sued her and Karen Garber and Peter McDonald, her nephew, for late payment. I wanted to hold them accountable for demoting me. I, I didn't need the money, but I sued them for late payment and, and did win a judgment. She, she never appeared in court. Mary Carroll didn't. Uh, 
I think Karen's on the hook for a, for a lot of, she's been sued in, in, at the, from the California Labor Board by multiple people, and I think she's on the hook. Uh, I sued uh, Mary Karen McDonald, Karen Garber, and Peter McDonald, the nephew, in the California Labor Board for late payment. And I was really holding them accountable for demoting me from right. one show to the next. It wasn't financially driven. It was more, let me just, no. you did a bad thing. Let me hold yeah. you accountable. You messed with the wrong guy. And here's what I'm about to do. She did not show. And uh, Mary Carroll did not show. But Mary but, Carroll did not appear um, for any, any of the hearings and did not respond. But Karen Garber did and Peter McDonald did. And Ka- Karen and Mary Carroll were, hel- I received a judgment in my favor holding Karen Garber, the CFO, and Mary Carol McDonald, the, the president of the company, for a judgment. And I know other people have won labor board claims against both of them also. So I think Karen Garber is on the hook for a lot of money. I agree. I've seen those judgments as well that came across in our research. Um, and thus far, I don't think Peter has been held responsible legally for anything. Yeah. He has not. He's, he's the Teflon man and has done everything he can to avoid any responsibility for what happened with Longneedle Entertainment and with Bellum Entertainment. And somehow he's managed to slither like a snake through, through life. And uh, it's amazing to me, but he's, he still has people that support him, including Bellum employees. I can't understand it, but he's a, He's a conniving, shrewd guy, and um, I think someday it's going to catch up to him. If, if Mary Carroll knew that a podcast was being made about her, for all I know, maybe she does. Uh, you know, I've interviewed some people who know her, who knows, but eventually maybe word will get around to her. But what do you think her reaction will be to know that? She'd, she'd be flattered. Flattery. She, she would be flattered. She would burst out of, out of her chest. I've made my mark. You know, it doesn't matter that I've hurt people. I've made my mark. I control the game. The game doesn't control me. I, I'm, I'm in charge of all of this. And, and I can manipulate the narrative any way I want, that I've gone to Dubai, or um, our, our account was hacked, or I can create these nonsensical narratives, and I control the game. She would love it. it that tracks with everything I've been told about her, which is why I asked you, um, because I, I had a feeling you would respond that way. Um, it's just so interesting. Uh, what do you think should happen to Mary Carroll, given all we know? Ideally, what do you think should happen to her? You know, we live in a society where shame doesn't have any, any, any value anymore. At one time, she'd be shamed into oblivion out of the community. We live in a world where that doesn't exist anymore, and people can go to another country and as Bob Dylan said, money doesn't talk, it swears. And, and Bob Dylan also said, still a, li- still a little and they throw you in jail, still a lot and they make you king. So the court of public opinion doesn't seem to ho- have any power to hold her accountable. I'm hoping that, that the United States government does and that they throw her in jail. Yeah, I think that you, other people share that opinion as well. And if Mary Carroll were sitting in front of you now, what would you say to her? I'd say you're pathetic. You're a joke. And you made my skin crawl from the first time I talked to you. You never fooled any of us. And um, if, if there's karma, you're going to suffer a, 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 an, an evil fate. Yeah, I, I know 
numerous people who share that opinion with you, myself included, you know, and from my perspective, you know, I, I've, I've heard you talk, luckily you, you've, you, she made your skin crawl and you had to, you know, you filed a judgment against her and things like that, but it sounds like you're, you're fine and you've gone on with your career and you're going to retire soon. Everything's great, but there are many people around you who didn't get paid and it affected them very deeply. And from my standpoint, I was okay because I had nothing to do with bringing Mary Carol into the bank as a client, but I was on the team who did. And we were a very small tight knit team. We were very good friends inside work, outside of work. And I saw three of my colleagues, great people, ethical people, great bankers um, get fired because they had a hand in bringing on what they thought was a good relationship to the bank. They did not, they had nothing to do with the scam. Although I think the FBI and corporate security, of course, asked them those questions. Like, did you have anything to do with this? Did you, did you gain anything from bringing this lady onto the bank? Um, So I have seen the destruction that she's caused and those people, those three people, they've also moved on like you and they're doing very well today and they're thriving, but this will always probably be some sort of mark, some, a stain for them and just a traumatic period that they never want to relive. And she has affected many people's lives in a very negative way. And I think that includes members of her own family, quite possibly her twin boys, you know? Yeah, they've got to live with this. And they, they were nice guys. I, I worked with them closely during those two years. They were both gentlemen. Um, I sensed they both were quite uncomfortable that she was their mom. I sensed that. And uh, one of the two, it seemed to affect him much more than the other one. Um, I, I felt for them. They, they're, they're victims. Mm-hmm. And I witnessed many of the other victims in Bellum who, who declared bankruptcy. and had to give up their apartment and, uh, and left the industry. Devastation across the board with, to many people, many employees. Yeah, she has absolutely wrecked a lot of people's lives and they've, they're left picking up the pieces. And who knows where she is today? But what I do know is that at one point, she got about $14.2 million in her hands. What she's done with that money she got from the bank, I don't know, but that's a hell of a lot of money that could keep somebody afloat for a very long time. Well, she's clearly living in a gilded cage, you know, a prison of her own making. And I can't imagine that she's really enjoying this or has any peace, but that's not for me to worry about or, or trying to understand. Now there are bigger fish to fry. Well, uh, Kevin, I have really enjoyed our conversation. I knew that it would be um, very helpful and it has been, and uh, it's been insightful. I have learned new things from talking to you and I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Jamie. You too. This episode of Dirty Money Moves will be the last one for now. We are by no means done investigating and reporting on this story. There is a lot going on behind the scenes right now, but I'm not quite at the point where I can share what's happening with everyone listening. What I can say is there have been developments that I never expected going into this project. I promise that as soon as I can share more, I absolutely will. This story is far from over and I remain excited to share more with you soon. 
Make sure you stay subscribed to Dirty Money Moves in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss any future updates to this story. Also, I'm excited to share that we're currently working on a new mini-series that we expect to drop in August of this year. The mini-series will chronicle a female con artist who many of you will be very familiar with. If you're subscribed to Dirty Money Moves, you'll get an update on your device as soon as the first episode of the miniseries is available. We're also working on season two of Dirty Money Moves, which will be another deep dive into a case involving a prolific female scammer. We expect season two to drop sometime in the fall of this year. Last, but certainly not least, I wanna thank every single person who helped bring this project to fruition. You've heard their names at the end of every episode, but I'll mention them again. Sim Sarna, Saiba Krieger, Devin Ruskin, Emily Crane, and Sean Bannon at Cloud10 Media. You guys are the best. Collaborating with all of you on this project has been so fulfilling, and I couldn't have pulled it off without all of you. Josh Cook, Brian Stefanik, and Matt Provenzano, you guys are also rock stars, and I appreciate everything you contributed to the podcast. And of course, my kick-ass researcher and writer, Gina Mazzolini. You've been my right hand for this project. I'm seriously in awe of your dedication and significant contribution to the show. Additionally, I wanna thank everybody who provided information about this story and shared their personal stories with me via email, DM, and otherwise. We could not have told this story in such a 3D fashion if it wasn't for all of you. Thank you all so much for helping me bring this story to life and share it in such an impactful way with everybody who listened. On that note, to anyone who took time out of their busy life to listen to Dirty Money Moves, thank you so much. Your support makes all of our efforts so worthwhile. All right, everybody, please stay tuned for future updates on the Mary Carol McDonald story as well as our upcoming miniseries and season two of Dirty Money Moves. Dirty Money Moves is a collaboration between Murderish and Cloud10 Media. Executive producers are myself, Jamie Rice, and Sim Sarna. Sean Bannon did the audio mixing and editing for this episode. Josh Cook composed the music. Brian Stefanik created the podcast cover art. Devin Ruskin produces the podcast. Follow us at Dirty Money Moves on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. If you like the show, please do us the biggest favor by reviewing the podcast and leaving us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now, because even four stars just isn't good enough for the heiress. If you're into true crime content, check out my other podcast, Murderish. If you have information about this story that you'd like to share, please visit Murderish.com and hit the contact button to send us an email. Also, if you or anyone you know have been scammed or were the victim of a white-collar crime committed by a woman and you'd like help getting answers or justice, please contact us via Murderish.com. We're looking for cases to cover in future seasons of Dirty Money Moves. Thanks so much for listening and stay tuned for new episodes coming soon. the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.